hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Yay, we can get married. Oh no, maybe we need to rethink this. Did you know that there are some financial drawbacks to getting married? This week, we talk with Brian Thompson of Brian Thompson Financial about his participation in Betterment's Wealth Management for the LGBT Community event. We uncovered three surprises, three ahas, and we get one really good money quote from Brian, all centered on marriage equality. Before we jump into the show, though, January is just around the corner. Would you like to kick off the new year with a plan to make better financial decisions? How about getting out of debt or saving for something big? Starting the first week in January and running for four weeks, Queer Money is going to be breaking down the four principles of a debt-free life. Plus, each week we give you a free tool that will help you put into action what we discussed during the show. Don't miss a single episode. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd everybody wants to, to look good my, my decision was i'm not a victim i'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem normally we don't drink on queer money but because we're talking about a subject that david is rather vanilla on um... <laughs> grab a glass of wine because you're listening to queer money with the debt-free guys this is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective All right. Well, we're excited to have one of our favorite people back on our show. We have Brian Thompson from Brian Thompson Financial. Brian, for those of our listeners who uh, might remember, was on episode 11, where we talked about his winning successful career change. So we're excited to have uh, Brian back. Welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Just to give our listeners a reminder who haven't heard episode 11, um, would you mind giving us a brief introduction of yourself, please? Sure. Um, My name's Brian. I'm a certified financial planner and former tax attorney based here in Chicago. Uh, My firm focuses on serving LGBTQ couples, helping them get on the same page financially, and then also achieve their goals as a family. So uh, I'm really focused on this community, and I love what you guys do. I love being able to help help you guys do it. So excited to be here. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. And, and likewise. And the reason that we have uh, Brian back on the show is because he recently attended um, in New York City, went to a Betterment Wealth Management for the LGBT Community Forum. So we wanted to talk with him about that visit there and any questions he might have received from some of the LGBTQ members uh, in the audience that we thought we could share with our audience. But before I get started, I, d- I did notice, um, how was your visit to New York City? It was awesome. Yeah. I, I- I haven't been in a while. My husband likes to go probably two or three times a year, and I tend to stay home, but um, this time I had an excuse to go, and um, I was there for a day or two before he came up, and then we sort of enjoyed ourselves from there on as a business-slash-pleasure trip, so really fun. I did notice that when you were in New York, he said he was at home with all the lights on, and he was waiting for Thai food to be delivered. (laughs) (laughs) So there's an inside joke there, huh? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, so we have a a four-story townhome, and there's three ways to get into it. And I think when he's by himself, he gets a little bit scared of people just coming in and doing something bad to him. But, <laughs> for so it feels like somehow keeping the lights on is going to scare them away. <laughs> for those of you who don't know what Brian looks like, Brian is, what are you, six foot six? Six four. Yeah. Six four. <laughs> so he's a very... Um, intimidating person <laughs> if you're if you're gonna come into super intimidating <laughs> right um if you're gonna come into a, a home a and you house. see brian you're gonna be scared <laughs> well yeah and when we met brian at vincon i'm five four and he's six four so there's quite a disparity there yeah. yeah that was fun i love our picture together yeah really good and the reason i brought that up about um you know, all the lights being on while you were gone. Because when I travel and David stays home, he has this habit of going to Chipotle and getting a burrito and having a burrito feast without me. <laughs> I don't know exactly Good idea. what that says. 
So cool. Well, thank you for, for coming back. And uh, so how was, uh, what, what's your overall take on the, the, the conference and what did you um, find out? I, I, I thought it was really good. I, I love opportunities like this to discover what we can do to help better the community and having a focus group of LGBT couples and individuals there and addressing their issues is really important. And getting to hear what, what is on people's mind and what are people thinking about, I think is also super important because that's how I'm going to build my practice is making sure that I'm dealing with the types of things that people are worried about. And I'm right. sure it's the same for you guys. You know, you want to be relevant. You want to make sure that people are being helped by the information that you give. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think it, it, uh, I think it's great that you had that Betterment hosted the event. So kudos to them. I think it's great that there was sure. a, a decent, looks like there was a decent turnout to the event and so yeah, quite think- some engagement. Yeah, I think there was like 150 people that registered. And I mean, I didn't get the final count of how many showed up, but the room was packed. Yeah, nice. And um, yeah, and they, everybody was really engaging. And I was sort of worried they had a set of questions that the, the moderator wanted to ask, but then he opened, opened it up to the floor and people just kept asking questions. We kept saying, last question, last question. Oh, well, no, no, last question, last question. <laughs> it's great to see that our community is having that level of engagement. It's David and I often talk about what we think of the, the maturation of the queer community. And, you know, we kind of started off as the jokesters in movies and but then we evolved to the villains. And, um, you know, then, of course, we had uh, the AIDS crisis. And only now, it seems, since same-sex marriage passed in 2015, it seems like we're starting now to have the, the mature discussion of, well, what do we do about our planning? Um, how do we plan right. as an individual, or how do we plan if if now we're fortunate enough to be married? How do we how do we get everything in sync? And we, our community has a lot to learn about what marriage means beyond just walking down the aisle and saying "I do." Exactly right. I mean, it's so new for us that there's a lot to learn and a lot to think about. When you know, all of our straight friends have probably been thinking about marriage for a long time. It's something that. At least I never thought in my lifetime I would be able to experience. So I'm glad I, I do get to do it and I have get to gotten to do it. Yeah, exactly. congratulations. Someday we will do that. <laughs> so did you notice any uh, themes in terms of the questions that you received from the forum? Um, not. I mean, they're sort of all over the place. It seemed like people had different issues. Some people wanted to hear about prenups or what, what the types of things to think about before you get married. Um, for some reason, the tax question about married filing jointly for versus married filing separately, that came up two or three times um, in different ways. So uh, it was just sort of people have different, which makes sense. I mean, everybody's in a different space, in a different place in their life, in their financial life. So everybody has something else that they're, they're worried about. And my, my role as a financial planner is to make sure I have a little bit of knowledge about everything. Right. right. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that that topic came up uh, several times uh, of how to file taxes. I think one of the surprising things that a lot of couples are experiencing now, especially having filed their taxes in 2016 as a married couple, is that there is the potential for the marriage tax penalty to be hitting us now. And paying right. more in taxes is probably a shock that a lot of people didn't think about or weren't preparing for. They may have had had the expectation of either getting a tax return or owing a lot less on their taxes. And that may have hit them pretty hard and they didn't realize it. For sure. Yeah. And from what I hear, it's like 50-50. Some people get the marriage penalty. Some people get the marriage bonus, depending on what your financial circumstances are. I think the other issue that has come up a lot with taxes, especially with our generation, people in their 30s and 40s, generation X, generation Y, is uh, the student loan issue. And if you're on an income-driven repayment plan, taking into consideration your spouse's income or not taking into consideration your spouse's income makes a big difference on That's how much true. you're going to be paying in your student loans a month. That's true. Yeah, and absolutely. Just filing jointly willy-nilly is not, not the best approach. Exactly. So for those of our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with what we're talking about, would you mind defining the tax bonus and the tax credit? Uh, sure. Well, the tax bonus and the tax penalty are two different ways of the difference between filing as a couple and filing as individuals. So whether you'd pay more tax individually, so both you and David file separately, you pay a certain amount of tax, say you pay $10,000 in tax, um, versus filing jointly and you pay $12,000 in tax. You've now received a $2,000 penalty for being a married couple just because your incomes are, are similar and it pushes you into a higher marginal tax bracket. Um, but it also goes the opposite way that if there are people who are a couple and one of them isn't working, now you get an extra standard deduction, you get an extra personal exemption, 
and um, all of that is still taken off your income, and now your tax is less than you would. You would pay less in taxes a couple than you would as individuals. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I was doing a little bit of research this morning. I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't fall back to sleep because I was thinking about a, a post that I'm writing for for Debt Free Guys. And this information is a few years old, but um, one of the things that I read was that as individuals, gay men earn less than their straight counterparts. But as right. couples, as a gay couple, gay men and lesbian couples earn more than their straight counterparts. So gay men are, as a couple earn more than straight men as a a man that is a straight man as a couple and lesbian women as a couple earn more than their straight female counterparts who are part of a couple. So it's interesting that you say that that a lot of people would get pushed into that higher tax bracket and it makes sense because combining income does then push us above the averages in most cases. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense. And I feel like a part of these, of what we're learning now is that there's so much information up out there that is contradictory about our incomes or how our financial situation are is. Um, so, I mean, you, you've talked about the New York times article before on your podcast um, that talked about the treasury study on the 2014 tax returns. Um, I think you guys did that with David and to me, that was a surprise because I had always heard that gay men on average made less than their straight counterparts. So why would two gay men earn more than their straight counterparts? Or why would two lesbians earn more than heterosexual couples? It doesn't make any sense. But then when you get into the details about um, geography and types of um, the types of couples that you're talking about, married couples are the ones that are actually getting married because they have the money right. or higher income couples get married because they have the money then I guess those statistics make a little bit more sense. Yeah, exactly. So I would assume that most people getting, most gay LGBT people who are getting married right now are probably, majority is probably in their 30s and 40s. It's, and so what kind of advice, what general advice would you have someone, an individual or a couple who's in their 30s and 40s and thinking about getting married? What, um, what should they be talking about? What considerations should they have? Well, I, I think there are several things. Obviously, don't, to me, you shouldn't make the, this decision willy-nilly, like I was saying before. You need to make sure that you're getting, you know what you're getting into. So knowing the person that you're marrying, making sure that you've seen their credit report, the type of debt, that their situation that they have, um, how they handle money, talking about how you guys want to hand, handle money as a couple, whether you want to combine all of your, your finances or keep them separate or whatever approach that works for you guys, making sure that you're talking about that beforehand I also think the prenup issue is really big. I know it's a hard conversation for people to have, but if you're wanting to keep assets separate or you need to keep assets separate for some reason, maybe you're getting an inheritance or um, you're a part of a trust that you want to keep separate from your marriage uh, assets, then that's the type of discussion that you, you need to have and you need to prepare like you would for anything else. Um, it's like buying insurance or having an estate plan. Having a prenuptial agreement could be, for most part, a protective instrument that actually serves you both very well in the long run. Um, other than that, like I said, just making sure that you're on the same page financially is also important. And um, talking about the cost of the weddings, I just saw recently that the cost of the wedding has somehow reached $28,000 or $34,000, something like that. Yeah, it was a recent not study. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's a lot of money for you to just drop on a day. So taking into consideration what your income and expenses are in that situation and making sure that you have the money to afford the wedding that you want and it's not causing a financial situation or financial detriment back uh, after you guys do get married. Are you finding from your clients and the people that you meet through your business, uh, whether you're speaking in public or not, um, that that LGBT couples are having these conversations or is that something that we needs to need to still help motivate them with? Yeah, I think it's something that we need to help motivate people to do because marriage is so new. Uh, it's an exciting thing that you just want to do right away. And, and sometimes you don't put a lot of thought into it or you don't at least you don't put the thought of the financial consequences of getting married into it. And I always tell people I had uh, a friend talk to me about a month ago about he's about to get married and what the things that they need to think about is 
I talked about the tax penalty and he said, oh, well, should we not get married? I'm like, well, well, no. I mean, you're getting married because you love each other. Um, you just need to be aware of the tax consequences and the other financial circumstances that you're getting yourself into and see if you could take advantage of some and not take advantage of others. Yeah, it's interesting. We talked uh, to um, Jennifer Fitzgerald of Policy Genius a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think that was episode number 20. I don't have the five. number. I only know about the number 11 because I didn't have the for the show. <laughs> right. But one, one of the things that we were talking about in, in that episode was the impact of getting married has on health insurance and right. um, how some employers are requiring gay individuals to get married now in order to take advantage of having their partner or their spouse uh, as a uh, at, on their health insurance. So before companies would allow them to be domestically partnered, but they're not requiring that anymore. And it's going to for for one couple that we've talked with, it it, it has the potential to set them up for some some significant changes financially. Uh, so they're weighing the, the the idea of whether they should get married or not, or whether they should be on each other's insurance, and how they need to do that. Again, it it behooves us all to to take the time to look at the options and weigh the costs instead of just yeah. rushing into it. I love that discussion. I, I was just listening to that one. And I think the other important part that you guys, that was missed is that even if you do sign up as domestic partners, your, your health insurance is going to be more costly because the taxes to the person that is not the employee uh, or the, sorry, the benefits to the person that is not the employee are taxable. Versus right. being married, then they're all pre-taxed like you would anybody else. And that was a huge thing for me and Ben when I was on his insurance and we had another 1000 or $2,000 in tax just because I was his domestic partner versus his husband. Right. Um, so that's also another consideration to take into account if you're trying to decide whether to get on somebody's health insurance or your spouse's employer's health insurance, just take into consideration the tax consequences and the cost of that. In the long run, it could be costly. Yeah. Straight people, people have been getting married out of convenience for years, so now it's nice to have the option for ourselves. <laughs> Let's get married because the health insurance will be cheaper. That's romantic. <laughs> well, I, I like to tell this story. Um, ben has always been about you know getting married for love, and um, before marriage was legal, I always told him that I didn't really want to get married. I didn't really see a point, but as soon as it became legal, I knew all the financial benefits of getting married. I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so he likes to call me a robot yeah. for, for getting married for financial reasons. Yeah, I was going to say that's very romantic. It's like a, we interviewed Kathy Pareto from uh, Florida a couple months, a couple weeks ago, and she said she was sitting down on her on her, um, her her sofa, and she was crunching numbers on an Excel spreadsheet, and she finally looked to her then- uh, girlfriend at the time, Carla said, "Do you want to get married? The finances would be very valuable." <laughs> so, love by a spreadsheet, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for some of us, it makes a big difference. So, are you noticing for those of your clients and the people that you meet in, in public, who uh, the LGBT community who are married, are you noticing any uh, mistakes that they've made or uh, any concerns that they have post-marriage that they hadn't thought about before marriage? Yeah, I've heard a couple of things, especially not being on the same page financially. And that's sort of why I've changed my focus to making sure that helping the benefit of having a, a third party, someone who's disinterested from the actual consequences of what's going to happen is getting you both on the same page. And there are a lot of times that couples don't talk about money because they're afraid about fighting about it. And they don't feel like they really want to bring it up or they really want to tackle these issues because they don't, it's just going to cause a fight and um, nobody's going to be happy and nothing's going to get resolved. So motivating people to actually make a plan and get started on planning, especially if you're married or you're planning on having a family and making sure that you guys are going to retire at the same time. Those are things that you have to do early on. And we are now becoming more and more responsible for our financial well-being. And if you're not taking into consideration what you need to do when you're in your 30s or 40s, you're going to be screwed when you're in your 50s and 60s because you just don't have time. 
I'm chuckling. I, I, I'm chuckling here. Do you made the comment about us uh, about retiring at the same time, and I'm a couple of years older than John, and he, I am going to get to retire a couple of years before him. <laughs> we, we shall see, sir. We shall see. <laughs> right, as I as, as I still have a full time day job, and uh, John works full time for Debt Free Guys. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> so, how are Maybe you? Maybe you guys both retire early when Debt Free Guys takes off, and exactly, it's exactly. a massive success. We'll live in <laughs> under the sun. Uh, I, I think we'll always have the goal of helping people fi- be financially uh, sound. And uh, as our money mantra is live debt free, have fun and be money conscious. And I don't think that you can ever give that up. Uh, that's, sure. that's something that will last for the rest of our lives and helping other people do that is that's going to last for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I, I love doing what I do. I feel like I'm in the right place. And this is what I want to do. I want to help people. And I can do that well into my 70s and 80s, hopefully. Right. Exactly. That's awesome. So how you said one of your new focuses, uh, is foci? focuses is um, to have conversations <laughs> about uh, helping, helping couples engage, get on the same page prior to marriage. How are, you, how are you having those discussions? How would somebody maybe who wanted to start that conversation before bringing in a referee start that conversation? <laughs> Well, how would they have it before they, they, they get a referee? I think it's a lot easier to have a referee in the room. Yeah. And um, a part of it was I, I, I use myself as an example. Like Ben and I, as much as I know about all of this stuff, I feel like there's a, a power dynamic that just prevented us from really addressing things because you always felt like I was telling him what to do. Right. So you already have that baggage of, oh, you're always doing this. You're always doing that. And that's getting in the way of, of you actually making progress. So having somebody who's a, disinterested third party, not guys, not disinterested, who's an objective third party, um, helps you focus on what you need to focus on rather than all the baggage that comes with getting married to somebody or being with somebody for 15 years and the arguments that you've had 10 years ago about, you know, whatever. (laughs) David is looking at me right now because, okay, so we are the we are the debt-free ten years guys. Ago, ten years ago is not uh, is not accurate for us. <laughs> we are the debt-free guys, and in theory, right, we have all of our finances in order, and there's no qualms whatsoever, and we're on the same page and all that. By and large, it's true. But Saturday, yeah, uh. Saturday. So I now that I'm working for debt-free guys solely, I'm responsible for the grocery shopping. Um, and however, David has maintained primary control of the budget, so. Whereas before we were sharing most of our duties, now we've kind of divided, we're dividing and conquering. And it seems sure. that now someone's a little bit more critical of the other. <laughs> so on Saturday, we were leaving the gym and I said, we need to stop at the grocery store to pick up, we were going to have salads for the week. We, need, we needed to pick up some lettuce. And the, the request for me to go to the grocery store to get some lettuce evolved into this huge discussion. Not evolved, evolved. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, devolved. And um, yeah, it was quite a contentious hour or so at the Debt Free Guys household. (laughs) That happens, right? That happens with us all. We we get in fights about stuff. There's so much emotional baggage and so much emotional stuff tied up in our relationship that it's sometimes hard to focus. Yeah, we probably should have called Brian and said, hey, can you help us hash this out? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I'm going to drop another show here that is... uh, that we just recently had. Um, we haven't published it yet, but we were working with um, uh, Bob Wheeler of The Money Nerve, and we were talking once again about limiting beliefs. And that was one of the things that was part of the discussion was this idea of limiting beliefs and uh, of uh, having a control on how much we spend. Um, and it was because of a limiting belief rather than a... Um, a belief that uh, of opportunity or, or, or of abundance. Interesting. So meaning like you spend more, or you're, you're, you shouldn't worry about constricting yourself, just spending on the stuff that you want. No, well, it was, it, it's the, it's the, um, the conversation that I've, I'm, I have in my head um, from time to time about that. We don't have enough money. <laughs> oh, and, got it. Uh, and so for that reason, we need to be conserving and, um, as John has pointed out to me a number of times, I need to let go of that belief because it is holding us back sometimes uh, by saying sure. oh, we're not, we don't have enough money because um, I'm constantly thinking in a, a scarcity mindset. 
Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so Bob's whole thing is that we, we, we adopt a lot of beliefs about a lot of aspects of life, but in, especially money when we're younger and we carry that through our adulthood and oftentimes our lives uh, have completely changed and our beliefs that we brought with us no longer serve us. So you need to change those so that they, they uh, morph to your current reality or it can help you evolve to a better reality and not being stuck in the past. Yeah. That's I love that last part, evolving to a better reality. I think that's a good way to look at things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's kind of the, I guess these, the essentially what you're, you're proposing here with couples having this discussion about money and getting on the same page prior to getting married. So you can figure out exactly where is, where, where is both, where, where is each party and how can right. you both evolve to a, a, a better place in right. your marriage? Right. Ev evolve to a better place together. Um, exactly. Because it's a lot easier to financially plan by yourself. Um, and it's a lot harder when you're trying to compromise with somebody else who may have a different vision of what they want for the future. So making sure that you could put all of those together and figure out a way to achieve all that you want together is really important for couples. And you can do it before or after you get married. I mean, it's, it's a conversation that needs to happen at some points. Right. And the earlier, the better. And you probably have to have that ongoing too, right? Cause for sure. Your, goal, your goals and dreams are going to change. Realities are going to change. I guess yep. my question – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, my question. Say, <laughs> <laughs> we have a little delay here, so I will shut up. <laughs> That's okay. No, I was just going. I was just going to add a little bit to that, saying that your your goals and your values will evolve and change as time goes on, because you're going to start taking off certain goals, and then realize that maybe this goal wasn't exactly what I wanted, or now that that goal is done, I want to do something else. So, like you point out, just making sure that you're really checking in and, and updating what you think you value and your what your goals are. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Do you, when couples are have trouble getting on the same page, do you, do you, what seems to be holding them back oftentimes? I think a lot of it is the unknown and fear. Uh, you know, fear is a, a huge emotion that drives a lot of anxiety. And so when you don't really know how much is coming in or how much is going out, um, it's really hard for you to focus on what you need to focus on because you're, you don't know. Um, or if you don't know what everybody's goals are, what they what the other person values, um, and having that conversation and being able to work through it, I think really leads to a lot of fear and uncertainty. So, um, I, what I try to do is make sure that you're focusing on the right things. You're focusing on goals and values. You're making sure that you have the minutia, like you're spending down, uh, your income and expenses, your net worth, making sure that we can categorize those things and show you what they look like. And then now you can say, all right, well, I know that we need to save $1,000 a month in order to get to where we want to get. Is that something that we want to do? Is that something that we still want to think about? Um, or a couple that I recently came into contact with that is spending $2,800 a month eating out, um, realizing, oh, well, that's a lot of money. Maybe we can cut back, especially if that's going to prevent us from getting to where we want to go in the future, making those types of decisions with actual numbers. Um, rather than just a guessing game is, is really important. And what I try to do with the couples that I work with is make sure that they understand specifically what they need to do, where they want to go, and what they need to do to get there. Yeah, yeah. well, that's a huge $2,800 on dining out. That's <laughs> pretty good. So I will do yeah, a shameless I, plug here. <laughs> we have on our, our, our website, we have a spending analysis worksheet that David and I used to help us when we first started getting out of debt that we analyzed our spending for an entire year and we noticed that there were several categories that were way out of whack. One of them was dining out as well as our, our, our wine budget. <laughs> right. But it was it's it so provided important. a lot of information because then we could see, okay, well, maybe we aren't poor and destitute. We, aren't, we just aren't spending well. And so we needed to reallocate our spending. Right. Right. And allowing to see what you're spending on allowed you to do that. So I think it's great that you guys are providing that. It's going to be a great resource for people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think one of the other things you were talking about fear there, Brian, and I think that one of the things that hinders a lot of people is the fear of change. They get into a very comfortable financial rut. We were in it. John and I were in it. That's how we amassed for $51,000 in credit card debt by the time we were in our early 30s. And mm -hmm. we, we get into these very comfortable financial ruts. And if you're consistently spending more money than you're bringing in, you're going to run into the issues. You'll, you will run into issues with debt. 
And I think sure. a lot of people are, are fearful of their comfortableness being disrupted, that they have to make some sort of change. The effort that it takes to make a change so that they would have a better life is they're more scared about the effort that they would have to make to make the change than the eventuality of where they may end up if they stay in the rut. Sure. I, I, I think it's not only the effort of making change, it's really knowing how to bring that change about. I mean, if you don't know what to do, you don't know how to categorize your expenses or use a spreadsheet or whatever, um, it could be overwhelming. There's so much information out there, so many people telling you to do different, different things that it's sometimes paralyzing. And um, so you don't do anything. And I've, I've, I've run into that several times too. So um, not knowing what to do and then being afraid of change, I think are both important points. Yeah, and therein provide therein lies the value of, of getting a third party, a financial advisor, certified financial planner, to help you with figure out exactly where you are, uh, and then track the best way for you to get to where you want to be, and to be able to break it down sure. so that it's it's uh, it's accessible and doesn't seem too too daunting. Right, and get you out of that rut, get you out of the complacency of saying, "Oh, I'll deal with this next week, or I'll deal with this in a month, or I'll deal with this then." If you have somebody bring it on your neck, saying, "Hey, we're meeting in two weeks." I need this done. Yeah. Um, right. You have much more motivation. Accountability <laughs> exactly. partners, what that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and Brian, just to, to maybe provide a little bit of insight, I think a lot of times people hear the word getting a financial advisor. They think of this idea oh, I need to have $500,000 in investable assets, or I need to be rich, or I need to be making six figures in order to be working with someone like that. Can you just give us an idea of what um, is possible? what kind of framework somebody might be coming from and when they sure. want to work with a financial advisor? I think that's a great point because the financial industry right now is set up in a way that it's just focused on investing. So um, how a lot of people who are financial advisors right now make money or they make it off of a percentage of your assets. Um, what the people that I work with and the people that um, are coming up in this generation that want to work with people in Generation X and Generation Y focus on comprehensive planning. So we do it on a fee-based model that um, either is, could be based on your income and your assets or a flat retainer, somewhere that makes it accessible for you to work with a financial planner without having to have 500000 or a million dollars in assets, without having to have $100,000 if you're willing to pay $100 or $150 a month um, on a retainer. Those types of things make it more accessible to more people. And people need that type of help right now. And that's why I'm trying to focus on Generation X and Generation Y. I do the retainer model. Um, to give people the ability to get the financial advice that they need without having to be financially set already. It seems sort of backwards to try to do it the, the other way. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Sure. That's great information. It's nice to see that there's a, a, fo a renewed focus on trying to make financial planning and advice more accessible to more people and not just people who probably need it the least. Yeah. Right. And make it more comprehensive. I mean, like, it, and focusing on investing is great, but that's only one fifth of what you really need to focus on. So right, and you t I touched on a point earlier in, in the show that you're, a lot of the clients that you're talking with seem to have a lot of student loan debt. Yeah, can you expand upon that? How the uh, you know how we got to this point? Maybe what, how some of your your pointers and trying to manage that because I know a lot of people and emails that we receive are, are people who have a lot of student loan debt. It's, it's a big issue just because the cost of education has risen so dramatically um, with really out relevance to inflation or anything else. It just keeps skyrocketing and skyrocketing. And I myself came out with $166,000 in student loans. So I, I know what it feels like and I know what people are going through. I have a set of doctors right now that have uh, $300,000 in student loans. And those types of numbers are really traumatic and really paralyzing like I talked about before. So um, what we try to do is make sure that you get an assessment of what loans are out there. So making sure you have a good assessment of your private loans and your public loans, seeing what payback options there are, whether you can get an income driven plan, one that's based off of how much money you make a month or, um, whether you need to be focused on just paying it off as soon as possible. Um, every situation is different. So we, it takes an analysis of the types of loans that you have, the amount that you have, your ability to pay them back. Um, and it takes a lot of analysis just to make sure that you can get into the best plan for you because there are some plans, especially if you're an income-driven repayment plan, that will be forgiven after 20 or 25 years. Um, there are tax consequences to getting that money forgiven, but that's still a lot of money that's going to go away. 
and making sure that you're aware and can prepare for those types of consequences when they do come up. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, David and I had $51,000 of credit card debt and initially it was, it was very stressful and depressing. And so I'll say this to those who are dealing with student loan debt or even credit card debt. The debt itself is stressful. The goal is to pay it off as quickly as possible to, to completely eliminate that stress. But I, I think I'll speak for both of us that when we finally had a plan to pay off our debt and we started to see it chip away, even though it was only a couple hundred dollars here and there every month, it, that was a relief in and of itself. Right. Exactly. It's what I was saying before about uncertainty. Uncertainty creates fear that creates an action. And if you actually have a plan, you know what you're, you need to do in order to get where you want to be, then that creates a whole new dynamic and involves your mindset. Right. Yeah. So can you say, I'm sorry. Can okay. you say that again? Repeat the, the fear. Uncertainty creates fear. Oh, uncertainty cre- creates fear. Fear creates an action. Right. And so um, having an action and having a plan and having somewhere that you can know where you're going helps change your mindset and gives you the ability to do what you need to do to get where you want to be. Right. Yeah. So if you're thinking about your debt, if you have a lot of debt, especially if it's uh, if it's debt where you have high interest rates, just starting to think about creating a plan uh, is is the best way to start getting that uncertainty to subside, so that you can start make taking action. And like John said, right. that's that was where we started. Yep, starting with the plans, getting some certainty, getting concrete figures is where you need to start, and then figure out what you want to do. You know, some people want to get rid of student loan debt that is at 1%. I mean, that's probably not the smartest financial decision because it's debt that can still, you can make much more money versus investing or paying off your mortgage or whatever, paying off credit cards. But some people are just so obsessed with paying off their debt that that's what makes them feel better. So that's what you should do, whether it's financially smart or not. So taking into account what your own goals, your own values are, and then creating a plan from there and having that dictate what you do rather than having, you know, the different people tell you, oh, well, this interest rate is higher than this interest rate, so you should pay this off first and blah, blah, blah. I mean, yes, that's sometimes the best route, but it doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances. Right. right. Avalanche versus snowball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you said earlier your, your targeted niche for clients are LGBT couples. Uh, right. How does – we often get the question of – you know, because we focus on, on the, pretty, you know, uh, the LGBT community as well. Where does the – where are the, what are the differences for queer people relative to straight people in terms of financial considerations? Well, I think we're still figuring that out. And like we talked about before with the different circumstances, um, with figuring out what our incomes are in relation to straight couples or uh, figuring out the types of things that, that gay couples do versus straight couples. Yeah, I know you guys had did, you did um, it was a meetup with or mashup with Prudential. So you know about their surveys in both 2013 and 2016 that found that gay couples were just less likely to have saved or invest for, invested for retirement. They're less likely to have insurance products. They're less likely to have a, a will and estate plan. They're more likely to consider themselves spenders than straight couples. Um, so there, there are a lot of differences that we need to deal with and approach as a community. Um, that in addition to things like workplace insecurity, that's still going on right now with 28 states being able to fire you for being gay. Right. And that's, that's something that the straight, the straight community doesn't have to deal with and that we need to make sure that we're facing head on. Right. To, to me, that, that latter point always speaks to the, the need to have a, at least three months worth of emergency savings, if not more, in case you do lose your job. But sure. you know, we're probably preaching to the choir there. But So that, <laughs> that, that one quote that you mentioned about you know, how much uh, – we, we save relative to our straight counterparts always gets David David's axe in the grind because the what is the quote the, the cost to raise a child from the age of birth to the age of 18 not including college is $245,000 is that right yeah and, and the USDA mm-hmm. estimated that was the amount in 2013 so that's three years ago but so the, co- the cost to raise a child is roughly $245,000 80% of the queer community are not raising children. And our incomes mm-hmm. as individuals are a little bit lower, but as couples are higher. So where's the disparity? Why is it that we don't have as a community mass, a massive amount more saved for retirement 
Um, we, I think that it was one of Prudential studies, I think it was all the way back in 2012, that said that the average gay, uh, gay person has $6,000 more saved for retirement. Well, as couples in 2000, the 2016 study, I think, is where it said that as couples, uh, lesbians are earning $7,000 more than straight women who are coupled, and gay men are earning $8,000 a year more than <clears throat> as couples than uh, than straight men who are coupled. Um, so there's there's a significant amount of earnings that that are. I mean, even if, even that everything being uh, equal, if we were earning the exact same amount. Why isn't that we aren't ma aren't making uh, vast strides financially as a as a community? It, that's a great question, and I think a part of the issue is earnings is is only half of the, the equation. You also have to know what you're spending your money on. If a lot of us are living in in urban areas where the cost of living is higher, and I was just in New York, like we talked about, where I, I can't imagine paying the types of rents that they do is just crazy. So I, I can see that. Yeah, you're earning more, but you're spending way more than you're spending double of what I am on my rent or my mortgage. So I can see why you don't have enough money or you're not saving enough. Um, so it's, you have to look at both sides of the equation and make sure that you're taking into account both your income and your spending. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I've never, I never thought about the fact that the majority of us in the queer community, I'm assuming, live in more rural areas. Urban. Urban areas. Sorry, I got it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> more urban areas. And urban areas tend to be more costly. But if, if Facebook is any guide, <laughs> it seems that most of our <laughs> gay friends have very lavish lifestyles and are very often traveling the world. Um, so I think even though we might be living in more urban areas, and, and that is a consideration, I, I would also suspect that we just live a little bit maybe beyond our means or at our means so that we can do all of the traveling that... That, that the media tells us we we're supposed to do as gay men. <laughs> right. Uh, or just as consumers in general, I think that's part of it. Although I would probably never use Facebook as a guide for anything. <laughs> we always just put our best selves on Facebook. Right. Our exactly. selves. Right. There, there is actually a, a, a portion of the Prudential uh, LGBT financial uh, experience survey from 2016, which we'll link to in this podcast, and we have a post coming up about it. Um, and it does have a graph in there, a graphic in there that kind of outlines where it is that gay men and lesbian women spend their money, their disposable income. And it's very interesting to look at the categories that we spend a significant portion of our disposable income, um, as one would expect for gay men, it's travel and fitness and clothing and <laughs> for gay women it's not too significantly different although i did notice that um gay women as a group do spend more on childcare and on pets <laughs> significantly pet. more on pets which i thought was kind of interesting <laughs> yeah and those are important statistics to know and to have if you can get an understanding of where you're spending your money like we've been talking about all hour um, it allows you to change your mindset and change what it is that you're spending your money on because now you have a new goal. I think what's frustrating from, from mine and David's perspective, a lot of the people who reach out to us via because of Queer Money or through our blog or, or other writing and the audience that we had when we were at the Prudential um, Financial Experience Tour in San Francisco, all of the questions seem to focus around debt. And it seems that whether it was credit card or student loan debt, and it seems that, and this could be straight across, you know, straight, lesbian, gay, whatever, um, but it, we're talking more with the LGBT community, and it seems that people are only only get engaged in, in our message when they're sort of maxed out. They can't handle dealing with their debt anymore. They're, 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 they're finito benito, and they want to figure out a plan to, to fix it. And that's when they reach out. But we would love to figure out, and we've been talking with some business partners about how can we get in front of these people before they're at a critical mass and we can help them better manage their money before they say um, it's all or nothing. Right. Yeah. Th their and ruts I, have come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> right. And with I, the I brick dealt walls. With that both as an tax attorney and I deal with it now. Like this is a hard uh, it's just a hard industry and in, as far as getting people motivated 
um, because uh, money is a lot of things is an issue that a lot of people don't want to deal with, and um, unless they have to. And the people that have to are the people that are just overwhelmed with debt, right. like as, as you guys have found out. So I, I think that's a good question of trying to figure out how to help people beforehand be more proactive rather than reactive. And um, a part of it is just doing what we're doing, making sure that we're getting the message out there that it's important to plan early, um, that there are resources, people that you can count on, people that you can trust to give you the, the information that you need to make good, smart money decisions. Um, so I, I think part of it is just continue to do what we do, both of us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank or you. All of us. <laughs> I think it's it's frustrating though because when you think about it, most most kids now go to college the, these days and they take on a super amount of debt. But the whole reason that they're incented to go to college is to be able to get earn the most money that they can possibly earn, so they can have the best life that they can possibly have. But Nobody talks about how to then manage that money when you start earning that six-figure salary, <laughs> and so it's, Isn't that's, that amazing? it's just fascinating that we don't have. Yeah. We we require them require students to take these uh, these elective courses, some which are completely inane, and then we don't require them to take any sort of just basic personal finance. When you start earning that one hundred and fifty thousand dollars salary, how do you best manage that so you don't have three hundred thousand dollars worth of credit card <laughs> even really, even it's even if you're making forty thousand dollars there isn't instruction in life you know there isn't a, a a guidance from uh whether it's educators or parents there doesn't seem to be much guidance that says that when you graduate pay your debt off live a simple life invest and when you reach a certain point you're going to really start to to uh, experience the benefits of living that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, to me, I think college is actually too late and we should be having personal finance classes in middle school and high school. So people can know that maybe I shouldn't take out $160,000 in student loans. If I want to be a teacher and make $30,000 a year, that's not a smart decision. Right. Or maybe I should go to the, the public school. That's going to be $40,000 cheaper than this private school that all my friends are going to, because it's really going to make my life miserable for the next 20 or 30 years, trying to pay back all of these student loans. Um, I, I completely agree. We are in a society where we don't provide enough financial education, where people don't like talking about money enough, and it's really hurting us. And it's going to be get to a critical point when all these people who are now responsible for their own retirement aren't able to retire. And I feel like that's going to be an issue of its own come you know, 10, 20 years from now. So would you say most of your questions that you answer for your clients center around debt management to some degree and then retirement? Uh, not, well, let me think about that. I don't think debt management itself um, or retirement itself, it's more about having a plan. So having some sort of structure to deal with whatever issues that you want to deal with. Because like I said, Everybody has some sort of different thing that they value that they find most prioritizing or that find that they want to prioritize the most. And so it could be paying off your student loans, like I, I told you, I have those doctors that, that want to, or um, it could be having a child, or it could be uh, saving for retirement. Everybody seems to have a different issue. A lot of it is buying a house, like I said, for people who are in their 30s, just making sure that they have a plan for what they're trying to do. A lot of people come to me without that, and I feel like that's the biggest problem that you have. If you're trying to do all this piecemeal without a plan, you're only going to get yourself in trouble. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you need a roadmap regardless of what your goals or objectives are. It's good to have a roadmap so you don't end up you know, in Topeka when you were going to. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's my analogy. It's like starting a road trip not knowing if you're going to New York, California, or Florida. I mean, that's... You don't want to end up in the wrong place 30 years from now. Right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't think that far ahead because 30 years is always that so far away. Retirement right. is always way far away until it's just a couple of years from now. <laughs> I also think that um, the examples that so many of us have as, uh, uh, as young people in our parents and in our grandparents, especially our parents who were boomers and our grandparents who were um, from a depression era, that for them, fortunately, things just did work out. They lived during a time period when 
They didn't take on massive amounts of debt for uh, education. They were able to buy a home for a reasonable price and live in a nice neighborhood, a decent neighborhood. Um, Those kinds of things made it somewhat, uh, it set them up for, in many ways, for success when it came to um, acquiring wealth and uh, and saving enough money for retirement. And they also lived in a time period when a lot of them received pensions from their companies. So their companies took an active interest in making sure that they were saving enough for retirement. That is not the case anymore. You cannot buy... You cannot buy a house today, um, uh, an average home today, on a less than average salary. You cannot graduate college and get a decent degree without spending a significant amount of money. Those kinds of things are putting so many young people at a disadvantage. So the examples that we have were, it'll all work out in the end. Well, the future is... Unless you make some make some significant choices now, it will not work out in the end. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and that just because things have worked out in the past doesn't mean that they're going to work out in the future, especially with the the types of pensions going away, like you point out. Um, I, I, my favorite quote from Ron Lieber is, is a personal finance columnist for the New York Times. He says, "You have to win your twenties. Right now, people have to win their twenties in order to succeed financially in their fifties and sixties." And it's not just retirement, it's dealing with student loans, it's learning how to buy the right type of house or whether the right amount of house, um, dealing with certain consequences of asking for a raise or negotiating a starting salary. All of those things are important and have long-lasting consequences that you need to start thinking about now versus later on because it's going to be too late later on. I think everything that you mentioned there, all of those institutions – today relative to what they were when our parents and grandparents were becoming adults coming into their own are completely are structured completely differently than they were back then and i think it's incumbent upon us to spread the message and for for young adults who are starting going out on their own to understand that those institutions are structured differently and they're not necessarily structured so that you win so you need to right. you need to plan accordingly and like you said it's, it sounds like I haven't heard that quote before, but that's pretty brilliant to to win in your twenties yeah. so that um, everything else is a little bit easier. Because if you don't win in your twenties, it's really hard now. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to start seeing the fallout of that fairly soon. And this is just my opinion um, because the four k four hundred one k is now about thirty or forty years old. Right. Um, so the people that now have been responsible for the retirements, um, we're going to start seeing the fallout of people not having enough saved. Right. And that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I know we've, we've quoted statistics in, from in the past of the average amount that uh, Americans have saved for retirement is roughly $25,000. And the average amount that individuals who are at retirement age have saved is not significantly more than that. And so that means that there are a massive number of individuals who are getting ready to or want to be able to retire they're in their 50s, right. maybe 60s, or maybe even 70s, and they just don't have the money. They don't have the capability to retire. And the amount of money that you get uh, from Social Security will barely cover your rent. Sure. Yep. We are, we are definitely going to see the fallout of that. I'm, I'm almost certain. Yeah. So we've kind of devolved to a depressing topic. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about something yeah. a bit happier before we end this show. Um, let's okay. talk about babies. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if that's a happy topic for everybody. <laughs> I was say, is that really a happier topic? Oh, come on, babies are cute. Maybe spend... if you're a new mom and dad, you don't love babies right now, but <laughs> because you're not sleeping. But so, uh, so we're more of us are more of the queer community are getting married, and obviously that usually proceeds to the next question of having having, having children. And since David always likes to say having children for the queer community is never a surprise. <laughs> Um, what what right. what advice are you sharing with your clients or or the people you speak with uh, when they get into the family planning planning uh, stage of the conversation? Well, it's it's a very good conversation to have and, and one that I have encountered a lot. And I say the first thing that you need to do is figure out why you want to have a child, 
and how you want to have a child, um, because that's going to really determine the cost of your, the approach that you're going to use. So um, thinking about questions like, do you want to take care of a child that's already in the world or a child that's older or younger? Do you want to raise it from birth? Do you want to be biologically related to the child? Those types of things you'll need to answer before you start doing your planning because that's going to determine what the cost is. Yeah, that's interesting. It's good that you brought that up. We I forget what episode because, like I said, I don't memorize them. But we had a, a guest on our show from Israel, who the path from where they started to uh, what they how they wanted to have a child to how they ended up actually having the child two years right. later was so circuitous. <laughs> um, it was, and it was, he was the one with all the spreadsheets, right? Like yeah, he, he had, had spreadsheets too. Everybody yeah. in our show loves spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was very interesting. And I, I th- to your point, I think it's 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 a good conversation to have. There are a lot of variables, especially if since since you can have a child by surprise as a gay couple. Uh, there are a lot of variables to consider. You need to con- con- take into account all of those considerations and then plan right. for that child accordingly. Yeah. Whether you're going to do in vitro or artificial insemination, whether you're going to need an egg or a sperm, or maybe you're going to need both, or whether you're going to need a uterus, you're going to do surrogacy. Um, all of those things right. are going to determine what approach you take. Yeah, none of that stuff is cheap. I think the cheapest option is like $70,000. So. I think I remember that from. Well, I mean, you can you can get a foster kit for almost free at this point, um, but a lot of people don't want to use the foster system, so um, they want to go through a nonprofit agency or an independent adoption, and those tend to cost from twenty ten to thirty thousand dollars, or international adoption, which is going to go up to fifty thousand dollars. So, right. um, there are ways to do it on the cheap. Um, it's just a lot of people don't want to approach those ways. Yeah. Exactly. So very good. I think this was a good discussion. Yeah. Very informative. Yeah, I, I'm Any, glad. I want them to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm just going to direct everyone back to the, the quote that Brian uh, made. Um, I think that this is the kind of the money quote from the show today that, that the uncertainty uh, breeds inaction. And, uh, and, and I think. Certainty breeds, breeds fear. Fear breeds inaction. There we go. Thank you. Uh, so. <laughs> scared about where you're at right now, you can reach out to us as the Debt Free Guys or Brian at Brian Thompson Financial. BT Financial. I'm sorry, BT Financial. Thank you. As a starting point, uh, we, we want to help as many people as we can in, and get onto the path that helps them feel that they're comfortable and, and making progress financially. So that you don't have to have that kind of fear in your life anymore. Yeah, for sure, exactly. So, and you can talk. You can reach out to us directly. But uh, Brian also has a lot of great articles on his blog. That if you want to just start sniffing around and get getting some information, you can should check those out for sure. And then, of course, sure. I'm sure he would take your phone call if you reach out to him. <laughs> <laughs> of course, We're, I think all of us are here to help, and that's our motivation: is to make sure that you have you're living the type of life that you want to live, and we can help you get there and get you over that hump of not really knowing what to do and not knowing how to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's all about having that plan. Yep. So Thank you. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us for another Queer Money. And uh, we hope to have Brian back in the near future. Anytime, guys. I thank love being with you. All right. What an eye-opening show. Did you catch the three surprises? Here they are, if you didn't. One, your taxes could go up when you get married due to your combined income putting you both in a higher tax bracket. So prepare for that. Two. If your student loan payments are income-based, they also could go up because of your combined income, something you might want to take into consideration. Three, if you or your domestic partner are on each other's health insurance at work, this is considered an additional benefit, and you could be paying taxes on that right now. Getting married may eliminate this benefit and possibly reduce your income and taxes. All right, so what about those three ahas? Did you catch those? Well, here they are if you didn't. First, the world we live in is changing significantly. And in order for us to have a comfortable later life, as Brian said, we have to win our 20s. Winning our 20s can be done by keeping your expenses under control, paying off your debt, and investing for your retirement. The second aha was that gay couples earn more than their straight counterparts, which is very interesting. So, don't you think it's about time for us to start doing better with our finances? 
And the third one was that more gays and lesbians consider themselves spenders than our straight counterparts. You should check out some of the funny things that we are spending our money on in the show notes. And finally, Brian's money quote, uncertainty breeds fear. Fear creates an action. Start on your path to a better financial future by removing that uncertainty. You can do this by creating a financial plan, either on your own or work with a planner like Brian. All right, so have a great week, and remember to join us next week as we kick off the four-part series to help you win 2017. Thank you. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all my coffee meals for me. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.